Good afternoon. Welcome to Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, December 7th, 2021. It is the 80th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Ahead this hour, we tour the sea without leaving downtown Bentonville. He actually served on the first racially integrated ship in the U.S. Navy that was controlled by the Navy. And what we're looking at is a portrait of Captain Skinner, who was leading that ship. A curator's guide to the exhibition In American Waters, The Sea in American Painting. And in about four minutes, Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports on solar power and rural electric cooperatives. The head of the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences says he expects to see evidence of the Omicron variant of the COVID-19 virus in Arkansas soon. Chancellor Cam Patterson said in an interview with Talk Business and Politics that researchers are still determining how the latest variant compares with the Delta variant. I suspect before uh, the next week or two is out, we'll start detecting uh, this variant here in, in the state of Arkansas, you know, because there's so much uncertainty, it's, it's difficult to know how to react. Uh, I, I think the basics still apply, uh, masking, social distancing, and, uh, you know, for God's sake, uh, get your vaccine. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, neighboring states Louisiana and Missouri have confirmed cases of the Omicron variant, which was first detected in the United States last week. The Arkansas Department of Health is adding 302 new cases of COVID-19 after the most recent 24 hours of testing. The ADH is also adding 13 deaths from the virus to the state's total. Active cases fell by nearly 400 in the last 24 hours. Hospitalizations in the state remained at 432 patients. The Oklahoma Department of State Health says more than 4,000 new cases have been diagnosed in the last three days. 28 more fatal cases have been confirmed in Oklahoma since Friday, bringing that state's total deaths from the disease to more than 12,000. The state's rolling seven-day average of newly diagnosed cases has increased by more than 80 percent since this time last week. Arkansas lawmakers are again at the state capitol today for a special session called by Governor Asa Hutchinson. The governor wants the session to focus primarily on his tax cut proposal and then end this week. Some legislators have indicated they will try to extend the discussions to include possible restrictions on abortion and limits on the discussion of critical race theory in Arkansas schools. Talk Business and Politics reports Tyson Foods will pay about $50 million to hourly workers as part of a year-end bonus plan. The one-time bonus pay would range from $300 to $700 per employee and be based on tenure. There will be about 1,500 graduates participating in this month's two commencement ceremonies at the University of Arkansas. The celebrations, scheduled for Saturday the 18th in Bud Walton Arena, will be at 8.30 a.m. and 1 p.m. The first will include graduates in architecture, arts and sciences, education, and health professions. The afternoon session includes students earning degrees in law, agriculture, engineering, and business. Both ceremonies will be streamed on the University of Arkansas YouTube page. Doors will open about one hour before the ceremonies begin. And the Arkansas volleyball team continues play in the National Invitational Volleyball Championship tonight in El Paso against UNLV. Arkansas advanced to the tournament's third round with a straight set sweep of Stephen F. Austin this weekend. It was the first postseason win for Arkansas in eight years. Arkansas enters tonight's match with 20 wins, the most for the program since 2012.
This is Ozarks at Large. A growing number of rural electric cooperatives in Arkansas are charging extra fees to customers seeking to install grid-tie solar systems. As Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports, the State Public Service Commission is investigating the situation. Patrick Villines is owner of New Farm Solar based in Boxley in Springdale. He installs ground solar arrays and rooftop solar panels for both residential and commercial energy production. So essentially a a solar setup for a residential home consists of solar panels and an inverter. You install this on your your residence and it produces power in your backyard with the utility in sync. There's no batteries. It just essentially offsets your electrical bill and, and works with the grid to do that. By grid, he's referring to local electric power poles and lines owned and maintained by utilities such as Swepco, Entergy, and rural electric cooperatives. The lines install solar systems that feed excess power back into the grid, referred to as grid tie systems, as well as standalone off-grid battery storage systems. So we specialize in battery backup and off-grid as well. So about 50% of our customers do grid tie, which is batteryless and, uh, you know, uses the grid essentially as a a battery with endless capacity to store excess solar energy in. So for example, in the fall, you can build up credits to offset your bill in the winter during low light and, and, uh, you know, short days. Produced excess solar power transmitted back into the energy grid requires a reverse electrical meter to measure that power, referred to as net metering. So, so when you net meter with utility, you first you contact the utility. Most of the time, the installer does this. Uh, they do what they call a preliminary review, uh, where they will look at your uh, proposed system and look at your annual usage. And the rules are to not produce more than your annual kilowatt usage for your home. Then, then once that preliminary is approved, the next step is a net metering agreement. The installer takes care of most of this, wire diagrams and such. And uh, once everything's done, uh, the utility comes and switches out a special meter uh, to keep track of these credits. And it's at no cost to the homeowner. Net metering regulations are decided by the Arkansas Public Service Commission. So, so the Arkansas Public Service Commission regulates 24 public utilities of Arkansas. They you know, set the rules for net metering, and, uh, you know, which include the, the one-to-one kilowatt hour ratio and uh, the rollover uh, from month to month for credits. And also uh, the grandfathering of 20 years for net metering. Utilities have been pressing for new net metering regulations that will be decided by the commission starting in late 2022, the line says. The controversy over net metering uh, is basically the net metering customers are not paying their fair share. Um, you know, if you, if the way the utilities look at it, um, you know, they have to keep the lines up and going, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, maintenance uh, that, that's involved. And, um, you know, when someone is just hooked up and, and, you know, they pay a service availability charge of $23 a month just to have that meter there, uh, but essentially not paying any taxes or any other fuel costs, um, you know, that go towards maintenance. State regulations require solar installers to size systems right now to produce no more than the last 12 months of a customer's usage. But they're not overproducing, so they're not forcing the utilities to buy this excess energy at 10 cents a kilowatt, let's say. They simply just credit them, keep a a pool of credits. That pool of credits never builds up to very much because the system is limited in size. 
based on the, the current rates and rules. Around 1% of electric utility customers in Arkansas currently net meter, but many more are expected to go solar into the future. According to SWEPCO spokesperson Peter Main, his utility does not charge Arkansas customers for preliminary review to install a distributed generation facility for residential net metering, require liability insurance for the system, or charge for net metering equipment. But the lines this autumn encountered a rural electric cooperative, Pettygene, in Van Buren County, that does levy such surcharges. Uh, quite a few steps uh, that are, are pretty de-incentifying for uh, even an installer to, to approach and, uh, and, and try to weed through. Um, and then there's an undisclosed amount uh, that's to be charged for the uh, interconnection of, you know, physical interconnection. Pettigene Electric Cooperative is based in Clinton, 40 miles north of Conway, and is among 17 electric cooperatives that operate under the Electric Cooperatives of Arkansas. Rob Rodell serves as spokesperson. Each of our electric co-ops are controlled by a locally elected board of directors. They, they maintain their policies. We are regulated by the Arkansas Public Service Commission. The net metering rules continue to evolve. So issues will come up. Um, for instance, in this in this instance, uh, the uh, a, f- a few of our electric cooperatives have noted that within within their uh, mortgage, mortgage requirements from their lenders, some cer- certain fees are, are are required for them to be be in compliance with their mortgage. So that's that's a piece of this. We're certainly not opposed to supplemental energy resources that that consumers might have. Lauren Waldrip, executive director for the Arkansas Advanced Energy Association, which counts 150 members, says she's fielded complaints from members about co-op solar surcharges. So several co-ops that our members deal with are requiring application fees of $500 and upwards of of $25 million in insurance coverage before they allow their residential members to install and run solar. So... From a legal standpoint, I would say while federal regulation exists to allow those co-ops to charge an application fee and insurance, it's important to note that the federal regulation doesn't set an amount for that. So that amount is actually in the sole jurisdiction of the Arkansas Public Service Commission. So the cost of those fees and also the insurance is often more expensive than the customer's entire utility bill. And so obviously that would stop the adoption of things like solar or renewable resources that are in those territories. Um, In fact, we've had some companies that have pulled out of territories um, because of these requirements. Clark Cotton is Director of Telecommunications and Engineering for the General Staff of the Arkansas Public Service Commission. The General Staff is aware that a handful of cooperatives have established some board policies that We are investigating as to whether or not they are in full compliance. Cotton says any utilities charging such fees are required to file formal tariff requests with the commission. You know, Arkansas has, since 2001, had a Renewable Energy Development Act to encourage the development and use of renewable resources within the state. That fact alone means it's in the should mean that it's in the public interest, um, that we should be doing these sorts of things and, and looking to, to move uh, toward, toward increased renewable energy. 
Waldrop says solar installation in Arkansas has increased by 2,000 percent over the past five years, a mix of residential, commercial, and industrial systems. In bottom line, right now, Arkansas, by law, she says, has the best net metering rate structure in the nation. So under Act 464, a customer can generate all or even a portion of its uh, energy needs through their own personal solar array, and then they can export whatever surplus they may have if they don't consume that back to the grid. Um, So under uh, the current method for net metering, which is determined by the Arkansas Public Service Commission, if they export surplus energy to the grid, that customer is giving a credit, uh, and that is in kilowatt hours, and that's on their next bill. Um, So then that one-to-one credit is used to offset their future usage. Current Arkansas grid tie customers, she says, are also allowed to aggregate several solar accounts under a single net meter. Professional solar installer Patrick Valines, who's complained to the Arkansas Public Service Commission, hopes a decision to block state unapproved solar installation surcharges comes soon. Currently, there's about a year left to get under the current net metering rates uh, and the grandfathering for 20 years before things start to change. To qualify, customers must transact a grid-tie solar system entering into a standard interconnection agreement by the end of 2022, he says. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. Ahead on this Tuesday edition of our program, a brand new conversation with the militant grammarian. Today, she's going to give us a quiz about words that don't exist. A couple of them, I think, might surprise you. That's ahead on our show. Surprise, delight, information, inspiration. These are essential ingredients to our lives in the fall of 2021 as we seek to not just reimagine a new and better normal, but to shape and build it. We think KUAF is more relevant than ever. That's why your generous financial support for the vital reporting of KUAF now more critical than ever. The greatest power at KUAF is not to inform, inspire, surprise, or delight, though. The greatest power is how listener support can energize all the power of public media to be a steady force for progress and public good. The greatest power is your power to support KUAF at the level you are comfortable with. You can act right now during this season of giving fundraiser. You can make a contribution in the amount you choose, in the method you choose, right now, at supportkuaf.com, and thank you. It only takes a minute for that one story to grab your ear to make you smile. And in an instant, the news can turn upside down. I'm Eleanor Beardsley, and it only takes a few minutes to support the journalism that helps you understand what's happening and what it means. Take a moment now to make sure KUAF will be there with you through the joy, the chaos, and whatever else tomorrow brings. Give online at supportkuaf.com. Thank you. Merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. Indeed, you can become a contributing member of your public radio station right now at supportkuaf.com. And again this year during our Season of Giving fundraiser, we are offering up a special CD as a thank you gift for your support this year. This is pretty cool. We've put together a collection of live performances of holiday songs from past live holiday Ozarks at Large shows that took place at the Fayetteville Public Library. Now, the pandemic meant we didn't do one this year or last year. We're going to get back to them. Don't worry. In the interim, you can enjoy this year's Thank You CD. 
It features holiday songs from all sorts of local artists, including Farmer in the Markets and Shannon Worse and Ed Carr. For a gift of $240 or just $20 a month, you can request a special KUAF Holiday 2021 CD. But we do leave the level of giving completely up to you. You can make your gift right now at supportkuaf.com and thank you. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. It's time for the annual KUAF and Friends Holiday Giveaway, your chance to win a gift from one of many generous KUAF underwriters. Participants include Hillberry Music Festival, the Fayetteville Farmer's Market, David Adams Fine Jewelers, and more. Winners announced on Friday, December 10th during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large. Details and registration available at KUAF.com. This is Ozarks at Large. The Arkansas legislature is meeting in a special session beginning today. The session called by Governor Asa Hutchinson to mostly deal with his proposals to reduce taxes. Yesterday, John Brummett, a political columnist with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, spoke with Roby Brock from our partner Talk Business and Politics about this special session. Roby asked John Brummett about the tax cut proposals. We may have a false sense of financial security uh, because of all this federal money that's been printed and sent down here, some of which we can't even figure out how to spend. So we seem maybe uh, healthier in our budget uh, uh, in, in a way that's not uh, fully authentic. Nonetheless, uh, the fact is we have, under the Hutchinson administration, over these seven years, we have managed to draw down tax rates in a way that we have con- that has allowed us to continue continually fund uh, uh, the, the, the continuing level of state government spending. And as long as you can do that, it's hard to make a big political fight about it. Uh, whether, and, but it all depends on how the money, how the revenue flow uh, continues. But uh, I may as well be for it because we're going to do it. We're getting ready to have the biggest income tax reduction in the state's history. That by the time it's done, by the time all the triggers are met and it's down to 4.9% at the top rate, uh, we will have taken a half billion dollars out of the state treasury. And we will have a basically a flat tax rate of eight uh, over $82,000. Everything over that, no matter if you make 700000 or eighty-two, those dollars will have the same rate. All those things are regressive. All those things, in my utopian concepts, I wish weren't so in my political residence in the state of Arkansas in 2021, I know they are going to be so. Uh, so yeah, this is this would be a big deal. This is, uh, uh, and is a big deal, but what we may be getting ready to get to is that this may not even be the big story of this session. The biggest tax increase in the state's history with these questions that I've attempted to raise in a polite, meek manner. May not be the big story of the next week or two. True. I would point out to uh, viewers and listeners as well that uh, that there is over a billion dollars already in savings as well. Right. There is this uh, long-term reserve fund, catastrophic fund. I think it's what they're going to rename it. So it kind of is a backstop if things do take sure. a turn in the wrong. Well, the, the, the math is fully supportive of what of what we're doing, and that's one reason you don't hear me carrying on about it. But you asked if I'm okay with it. In terms of concepts, uh, in terms of uh, of, uh, of the future, uh, you know, and in terms of tax progressivity, that the income tax rates should rise as you have more money. No, but nobody cares whether I'm uh, uh, whether I'm okay with it or not. I don't have to be. 
and and, and it's financially responsible in today uh, right at this moment yes it's and it begins to phase down let, let me explain they're not going from five nine to four nine they're going from five nine to what five five and then the others then, then the others will come in in phases and some only if certain revenue flow triggers are met so if you're going to do it uh, I applaud the incremental mostly responsible way that Governor Hutchinson has done it and is doing it we still expect, though, a full repeal of the income tax to be filed. I don't know if it will go anywhere or move anywhere, but we'll at least hear from that uh, from several uh, conservative legislators. We'll just say, let's do away with it all in, in one fell swoop or on a much faster basis. There will also be other bills that will be out there that will not have anything to do with tax reform. Let's talk about a little bit of those. Let's start first with... Uh, Senator Jason Rapert has said he is bringing, although it is not on the special session call, a, a bill to mirror perhaps Texas's, maybe even Mississippi's uh, restrictions on abortion rights. Um, any chance at all that this does not swirl into the debate? Uh, does it get dealt with quickly and moved aside, or is it something that you think will extend the session uh, much further beyond the three days that the governor and legislative leaders want? The best and most insightful answer is that I do not know. However, I know that Jason Rapert is looking forward to, an, as he told me in a text last week, an exciting week. I know that he believes he, we should use, I said, why would, why would you try to impose in Arkansas law this Texas, dubious Texas scheme, when the Supreme Court of the United States, you've got five people indicating they're going to go with a much more straight up near repeal, if not outright repeal, of, uh, of uh, Roe v. Wade. And he said it's important to him that we uh, uh, use every tool available to us to continue to be, as he has made us, the most pro-life state in the uh, uh, country, well, according to somebody. Uh, he's running for lieutenant governor, <clears throat> at least for the time being. That's a factor in this. Uh, so, so oh, I forget your question. That uh, was. Do, do we, do, does this debate extend the session beyond the okay, yeah. days? Yes. I, I, I don't see any way the Senate doesn't vote to extend. I think there's a chance in the House. You got to get one third plus one, not to suspend the rules. I mean, you can't take up anything else. I have I have people saying there are soft commitments from enough Republicans to 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 limit the agenda to what the governor's call is. That would require only what, uh, 15 or 16, just a few Republicans, uh, 15 or 16, to join the Democrats and, and not extend. And I think in, in the abstract, there's probably right now some support for that. Like, you know, let's just do this and get home. It's Christmas and these other things can wait and they're not emergencies and let's get these taxes cut. Yeah, I can do that. But then here's what happens. The pressure bills. You get something from the Senate that's a that's of a pro-life nature that you have to then think of it specifically. Can I vote not to suspend the rules with this thing coming and go home and face a primary in which somebody could say I voted with the Democrats, with the liberals on abortion? Same thing on critical race theory, which is not being taught. I mean, the, the theory itself. But uh, the, this bill is coming, uh, if we can suspend the rules, to, to say we can't teach anything in our history classes that might make the innocent little children feel guilty. 
Uh, that's actually one of the provisions in it. I've, I've paraphrased it uh, generously. Uh, you could say that's not an emergency. I don't think I'll vote for that. But then when in, in the moment, when you're faced with that and the, and the momentum for it. So I think we just don't know. I think there are generally, conceptually, enough votes not to extend. I think in the heat of the moment, and the, and, and, and the current conservative politics played the way it's played in Arkansas, I, I think it, the pressure will be great not to extend. Mm-hmm. And that's just the best uh, uh, answer I can give you. John Brummett is a political columnist for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. His columns can be found at ArkansasOnline.com. He spoke with Roby Brock from our partner Talk Business and Politics. More from this week's discussion at TalkBusiness.net. Downtown Bentonville drivers might experience slight delays the rest of this week around Southwest A, Southwest 2nd, and Southwest 3rd Streets. Construction in the area is scheduled for tomorrow through Friday from 7.30 to 5 each day. The annual Rare and Vintage Book Sale benefiting the Fort Smith Public Library is underway. It will last through the 12th. There are books about art, religion, history, and local interest available, with publication dates from the late 1800s to the present. This year, the Rare and Vintage Sale completely online. More information about how it's working at fortsmithlibrary.org. Another annual event, a service of lessons and carols at the University of the Ozarks in Clarksville, is Friday night at 7 in Munger Wilson Memorial Chapel on the U of O campus. The presentation from the University of Ozarks Music Department is free, but it also requires a ticket for attendance. Masking and social distancing will be observed. You can reserve your ticket by going to Eventbrite and looking for a service of lessons and carols at the University of the Ozarks. When caring for a seriously ill loved one, the journey shouldn't be taken alone. Circle of Life Hospice can help. Services are covered by Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance. No one is turned away based on an inability to pay. 750-6632 or nwacircleoflife.com for information. You are listening to KUAF 91.3. At KUAF, we place an emphasis on local coverage. Nowhere else can you find and listen to programs like the Community Spotlight. It's a locally produced segment by Pete Hartman that shines a light on groups focused on making the KUAF listening area a better place to live. Every weekday morning at 6.30 and at 8.30, you hear from some of the region's most dedicated groups and people helping the Ozarks be the best it can be. And if you missed it, you can always access past segments when you go to KUAF.com and then just search programs. Help us keep you informed about the good things happening throughout our community in northwest Arkansas, the Arkansas River Valley, eastern Oklahoma, and southern Missouri by making a gift right now during our Season of Giving fundraiser. It's quick. And it's easy. You can contribute online in the amount of your choice at supportkuaf.com. And thank you. Now, if you can afford a gift of $240 or become a sustaining member for $20 a month, you can request a special KUAF Holiday 2021 CD. We've put together a collection of live performances of holiday songs from the past Ozarks at Large holiday shows that have been at the Fayetteville Public Library. It's pretty cool. This year's CD features holiday songs, including ones that you're very familiar with, but some originals, too, like this one from the Sons of Otis Malone about five years ago. 
Really, it's winter and this house is a hundred years old. There's blankets hung over the door. Ain't much that I can do but lay here with you and whisper in the dark to our unborn child. There's pictures of my mother her mother and her mother lay up on the wall in the den and I think of what they've seen and how this world can feel so mean when you're about to bring a baby in Sons of Otis Malone, Farmer in the Markets, The Fayettones, Shannon Wurst, and more on this special KUAF Holiday 2021 CD. It's a collection of local artists performing your favorite holiday songs, and you won't find it anywhere else. It's for a gift of $240 or more, or if you set up a $20 a month sustained gift. And of course, the CDs make pretty good holiday gifts. You can make your gift now and keep programming on the air like Ozarks at Large, All Things Considered, Morning Edition, and Science Friday. You can make your support right now at supportkuaf.com, and thank you. Earlier this year, physics professor Hugh Churchill, along with colleagues at the U of A and Montana State University, received a $20 million National Science Foundation grant to establish a quantum foundry, a project he says will accelerate development of quantum materials and devices. What we want to do in the Monarch NSF Quantum Foundry is use robots and artificial intelligence to accelerate that process of creating materials and making devices out of them so that we can more rapidly understand how these materials behave and apply those properties and that behavior to various quantum technologies. And a big part of our effort is that we hope to become really a national resource that researchers from all over can turn to, to have materials and devices made for them and help accelerate progress in our entire research community and help everybody go faster. You can hear more in the latest edition of Short Talks from the Hill, a research podcast of the University of Arkansas. Listen at KUAF.com or at arkansasresearch.uark.edu. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. With me in at the Carver Center for Public Radio is our Milton Grammarian, Catherine Shields. Welcome back, Catherine. Thanks. Kyle, I yelled at the radio recently during Ozarks at Large. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yes. Actually, I do it a lot. <laughs> One of your guests used a word I'd never heard mm. and for which I believe there is no need. Okay. He talked about the relationality of something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the word made me so mad that I didn't even pay attention to what he was talking about. Uh-huh. So that's my loss. Okay. But it's one of my biggest pet peeves, waking up words that are not needed. Right. Now, I'm, against, I'm not against the coinage of new words. I just don't like replacing one with another that sounds like a mere shot in the dark toward that word intended. So superfluous words. Yeah. That really we didn't need. Yeah. So what word do you think I assumed he was grasping for when he said relationality? The relationship to something? Yeah. Yeah. 
And as is the case so often, when I rail against a word or usage, I look it up and find I'm wrong. <laughs> Doesn't mean you're less mad. No, right. In this case, however, Merriam-Webster backs me up. For and now. They, they, didn't, they didn't know it at yeah. all. Okay. And the synonym antonym page that I found didn't know the word either. But there are many, many references to it, especially as an offshoot of relational, mm. which to me is better expressed as the root word related. Yeah. I was going to say relational itself sounds like <laughs> it, a, it is. Yeah. It is. All that is to say, uh, Kyle, we're going to do a quiz. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to give you a sentence with a word that doesn't exist, mm-hmm. according to a website by Grossmont College. And you tell me what word was intended. Okay. He had an ulterior motive. Ulterior motive, yeah, oh. yes. <clears throat> we came to an agreeance. An agreement. Isn't that awful? Agreeance? I, I don't think I've heard someone say that. I haven't heard that. Okay. One that uh, I heard years ago that drives me crazy, and I still hear it. Um, I've made my submittal. How about submission? Yeah, I haven't heard that before. Yeah. Mm. The answer took hours of analyzation. Analysis. Right. The zations are a plague, mm-hmm. a plague. So often there's a perfectly good word, shorter, that's clearer. For instance, alphabeti- alphabetization. Yeah. <laughs> Why not just say alphabetized? Oh, right. She finally earned her doctoral degree. This one threw me, too. That sounds right to me. Her doctorate? No, it's uh, we want to end it with an L. I don't. Doctoral, no I. We say doctoral. Oh. It's not doctoral. It's doctoral. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't either. Huh. We often throw in a letter or syllable that isn't there, like athlete. Frank Broyles did that all the time. Yeah. Oh, uh, lots that of people did. Thick Georgia accent. Athlete. Like <laughs> and do you, uh, um, when. Runners do an event, and maybe, well, anyway, it's called. Um, there's three parts to it. With the triple called? jump, no, no, it ends with lawn. Ends with lawn. Lawn. L-O-N. Decathlon. Three. Oh. <laughs> you you could see uh, me. I'm holding three fingers yeah. up. My guess is no. Triathlon. Yes. It's triath. <laughs> what? Say it again. Triathlon. Triathlon. Triathlon, no alon. Triathlon, triathlon. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's one new wow. to me too. So biathlon and not biathlon. Yeah, yes. but that makes. I don't yeah. think I. I think I hear people say biathlon. You couldn't say biathlon, so you'd have to put the right. a in there. Right. I think I don't know. Maybe that's where triathlon comes from. Because to say bi, you can't yeah. say biathlon. Biathlon, right? Yeah. He failed to interpretate the data fairly. Interpret. <laughs> All the eights, yeah. you know, that there's overusedizations. She was ostensibly there to pay her respects. Ostensibly. Mm-hmm. That's just a product of bad pronunciation. Yeah. The accident caused his paralyzation. Well, just his paralysis. Mm-hmm. Anotherization. Here's a good one. The stigmatism made it hard for her to ri- drive. <laughs> this, the astigmatism. Yeah. The astigmatism, yeah. yes. It has an A on it. Yes. Yeah. And I'm when you first, <laughs> when you first read you that. like stigma? I was thinking of stigmata. It's like, well, that would hurt. That would make it hard to drive. 
Okay, here, instead of adding a letter, one is dropped, perhaps mistakenly thinking the A is an article. Like mm. he had, although it should be Ann, he has, no, it wouldn't, A stigmatism. Right. He has A or the right. A oh, right. stigmatism. I'm wondering if that's how ah, that came about. I bet it is, mm. yeah. Okay, here's one I'm pretty sure I've committed many times. There's no argument that Sophia Loren had a voluptuous figure. Voluptuous. Yeah, no. There, no even though um, she had lumps yeah. in the right places, <laughs> yes. there's no mmm yes. yeah. in voluptuous. I'm sure I've messed that up. The next few words are widely used by English speakers, but perhaps they shouldn't be. It's important to take preventative measures against the flu. You hear this all the time. And so I'm to correct something in that sentence. Mm -hmm. It's important to take preventative measures against the flu. Should you not have preventative in there? I don't, I mean. What could it be instead of preventative? um, Same word. uh Um, Preventive. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was so easy. I Yeah. yeah okay. Preventative is, right. is a longer right. variant of the shorter word with exactly the same right. meaning. Preventive is a preferable mm-hmm. and more common form, though, although preventative has been gaining ground mm. a lot. Why make it longer? Yeah, it's weird. Secondly, you should avoid people who are ill. Secondly, you should avoid people. Also, you should avoid. I don't know. Um, what What does secondly come from? Well, it's additionally. You should also. Well, the, what word is second? Uh huh. And does that mean oh. the same thing as secondly? So just second, you yeah. should. Oh, but I understand. You want to make that an adverb or sounding kind of word. But listen, firstly, secondly, thirdly, all of them are all unnecessary words. Ordinal numbers, first, second, right. third, act as both adjectives and adverbs. Yeah. So there's no reason to add the L-Y. Just first, you should do this. Uh-huh. Third, you should do that. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. These last two words have been in my vocabulary for most of my life, and I never knew them to be redundant. These are fascinating to me. The president was overwhelmed by the outpouring of support. Is overwhelmed the word we're bothered with here? Yes. So just whelmed? It is. <laughs> no. It is. It is. Whelmed what? means to be completely overcome, inundated, or submerged. Then why do we have overwhelmed? I don't know. <laughs> the if, un- but, but we've had it since the 14th century England. Because <laughs> if whelmed means that, we don't need overwhelmed. Uh, I always thought if there was a word whelmed, which I didn't think there was, it would mean it was the exact thing you thought. Yeah. Yeah. So underwhelmed still should exist. Well, except that's not a word. That's a made up. That's a funny, funny word. Underwhelmed is not a word? No. I don't think so. I've always thought it was just slangy kind of thing. Mind blown on many (laughs) different levels here. Really? He was underwhelmed? I don't think so. I think. I think it's just somebody said, well, it's like. Oh, I now know that you have no doubt sometime in the last 32 years yelled at Ozarks at large when you've heard me say <laughs> underwhelmed then. <laughs> wow. Oh, well, I didn't know. Of, oh, okay. Uh, well, okay. underwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's it's in common usage. It's, okay. I, don't, I think it was just, oh, well, if you're not overwhelmed, you're underwhelmed. 
I don't know. I, I okay. have to look that up. I am look it up. Blown um, away by but this. anyway, overwhelmed has been used since the 14th century when huh. it was never needed. Just whelmed. Wow. <laughs> have oh, I whelmed you? I was, yes, you have. <laughs> I, my goal for the rest of this week now is to just use whelmed all the time. <laughs> okay, here's one. All right. I should reiterate, I'm not against the coining of new words when necessary. What's wrong with that? Oh, wait, that I thought, mm-hmm. oh, I thought you were telling, mm-hmm. oh. I should reiterate, I'm not against the coining of new words when necessary. You're going to tell me reiterate is something that, don't tell me there's, I should iterate. Exactly. Reiterate is redundant. So iterate, oh, okay, but wait, what if you've iterated something once and it didn't land with the person you were talking to, so then wouldn't you have to reiterate? Well, as much as you would have to say, I have to re-say that to you. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so iterate. It, I need to iterate. It means to repeat. Iterate means to repeat? Again, I am whelmed. It's, <laughs> it says <laughs> anyone with a background in science or computing will know that iterate means well, that repeat. So you off the hook, yes. <laughs> Wow. So saying reiterate is like saying repeat, repeat. <laughs> unbelievable. I know. Well, I know. Now you're going to tell me unbelievable isn't a word. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, no, Kyle, you, th- those last two certainly will me. <laughs> Our militant grammarian is Catherine Sherald. It's super califragilistic, expialidocious, even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. If you say it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious. Super califragilistic, expialidocious. Good Tuesday. This is Ozarks at Large. This is the season of Giving Fundraiser Week at KUAF. We're taking just a couple of minutes in between interviews and stories to remind you the big reason we can bring you stories and interviews, whether it's from people who live here or from people halfway across the world. The reason we can do that is because you and listeners like you contribute to KUAF. If you were to look at a, at a pie graph of KUAF's income, revenue, the biggest part of that graph belongs to you and listeners like you. Connect with KUAF and you connect with information and ideas you need. You connect with inspiration, insights. You connect with our responsibility to community. Connect with us and you connect with trusted news coverage, thoughtful conversations, inspiring people. You connect with facts, with truth, and with excellence. And when you connect with KUAF, you're connecting with a media organization that is committed to our community, that celebrates the power of diversity, that's devoted to fairness, accuracy, transparency, and accountability, unafraid to demand truth from power. We've gone through an extraordinary 20, 21 months. And during these 20 and 21 months, KUAF has connected you with the expanded essential coverage you need to meet the challenge of the crises we all face. But the only way this can be done is with your support. So we're asking you not to delay making your commitment to public radio and KUAF. Now, don't delay. It's almost the end of 2021. You can make a tax-deductible gift to your public radio station right now at supportkuaf.com. You make all the difference, and thank you. This is Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. Any way of describing this past year feels like an understatement, but I hope that during these unpredictable and devastating times, you've been able to count on KUAF. If you value the news reports and interviews you hear on KUAF, please show your support today by giving at supportkuaf.com. Thank you so much.
We've been talking about COVID-19 for almost two years now on KUAF. And I'm going to guess that somewhere over those last almost two years, you've started listening to KUAF more than usual. It's because you can be certain you're getting the latest information and the information you're getting is reliable and based in fact. KUAF and NPR have a team of experienced reporters around the world and here in our community to keep you connected. And this team exists because of the generous listeners who made contributions during earlier fundraisers. Now, during this season of giving, year-end fundraiser, now is the time for you to join them if you haven't yet. You can give to KUAF so we have the funds to allow this important story to continue, the coverage of it, wherever it takes us, for however long it takes. You can support right now in the amount that you are comfortable with at KUAF.com, and thank you. KUAF is supported by Little Guys Movers, built on family values and community involvement for over 28 years. Little Guys Movers focused on changing the image of the moving industry, one move at a time. LittleGuys.com for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. The exhibit, In American Waters, The Sea in American Painting at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville, remains open another seven and a half weeks. The collection is more than ships and waves, and we wanted to explore the exhibition with a Crystal Bridges curator. Mindy Bishaw met us on a recent afternoon at the door to the exhibit. We're about to enter the exhibition In American Waters, The Sea in American Painting. There is an ocean soundscape playing as you enter the first gallery of In American Waters, and you can sign a logbook before entering. You do see paintings of ships, of the sea, but there is more here than masts, riggings, and sails. Mindy Bishaw says the collection, including many works from the Peabody Essex Museum in Massachusetts and some art from the Crystal Bridges Permanent Collection, seeks a more holistic vision of the sea. This exhibition pulls back and really thinks more broadly about American art history, American painting, American culture related to the sea. Of course you have portraits of ships. But in this introductory gallery, you also have portraits of people. The first gallery spans 250 years of art and quickly establishes the exhibition is going beyond the expected. There is, example, a Gilbert Stewart portrait of George Washington that includes, in the background, past the first president's shoulder, a seascape. And this was painted as a thank you note, um, really a thank you gift to Alexander Hamilton, who had been instrumental in supporting the Jay Treaty, which was effective for calm waters and trading with Britain. And so that becomes part of our history, and it also appears all over the place in the art. Close by, something completely different. Jacob Lawrence's 1940 splash of blue, dotted with silhouetted ships and a floating face. Colorful and riveting, the painting is influenced by the artist's own time at sea. He's an African-American artist who was in the U.S. Coast Guard. So he joined the Coast Guard and was an artist in the Coast Guard. He actually served on the first racially integrated ship in the U.S. Navy that was controlled by the Navy. And what we're looking at is a portrait of Captain Skinner who was leading that ship. Um, So visually, it's almost an oddity because it does have a single head in the middle different kinds of ships, blue on blue, so very subtle, and then other symbols that tell us about Captain Skinner. Not that full-length, you know, grandiose portrait of a single figure, but rather something that's a bit more symbolic of a portrait 
Um, but if you pull out from that and think about the context, it is absolutely amazing that this is the artist that was on that racially integrated boat. The ocean can represent travel, vacation, exploration, and exploitation. To examine the sea fully is to survey immigration, commerce, power, and slavery. Nick Cave's Seasick is a collection of a nearly dozen found oil paintings of ships, the sort of multi-sailed ships that would be created to project the noble concept of seafaring, but also included a black face and cast hands, forcing us to consider that those ships designed to evoke ideas of nobility often had far more deplorable objectives. Seasick is paired with a quote from Frederick Douglass. Those beautiful vessels robed in purest white were to me so many shrouded ghosts to terrify and torment me with the thoughts of my wretched condition. You are loosed from your moorings and are free. I am fast in my chains and I am a slave. There is no single story, no single style, no single approach in this exhibition. Fletcher Martin's 1938 Trouble in Frisco frames a pair of fighting longshoremen through a window. And M.C. Wyeth's The Drowning is a stark, lonely image. Wyeth created a 42-inch tall oil painting with an empty boat on top of a stormy, roiling sea. It's a haunting reminder of the unpredictable power of the ocean. In American Waters also considers sea life on shore. Paul Cadmus's The Fleet's Inn has no water, but sailors carousing off-ship with each other and with women in tight skirts, smoking, flirting, and it turns out creating quite a ballyhoo when first exhibited. Again, Mindy Bishaw. And in this particular case, there are absolutely some references to um, sex, quite boldly. Uh, and in fact, a few fun stories. One, this painting is in the U.S. Navy collection. But when it was first shown, uh, it was taken down immediately because the Navy believed that this was not accurate. This was giving a bad portrayal of the sailors who are coming into town and you know, causing a little trouble. Now, um, Cadmus also is a gay artist. And so part of what these young men are doing is not just carousing with other women, but each other or the men of the town. And so that, too, was a bit uncomfortable when this painting was first shown. If the fleet's in takes us slightly off the water, another takes us hundreds, possibly even thousands of miles from the shore. Frederick Remington's The Cowpuncher's Lullaby, which can be viewed under a speaker playing cowboy songs, seems to be an incredibly unlikely inclusion. And there is um, some overlap with sea shanties and cowboy songs. And in many instances, there are places where you could really trace how perhaps it was sailors who hopped off the boat in the Gulf and got onto some cattle trains and took some of those melodies with them into the plains. Make no mistake, there are images of waves, ships, and horizons included. William Trost Richards' 1903 Along the Shore, part of the Crystal Bridge Museum of American Art Permanent Collection, is a stunning example of how the most gifted artists, before photography, could interpret the intricacies of waves. It alone is worth several minutes of examination. In American Waters, the sea in American painting is at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville through January 31st. Our guide was Mindy Bishaw, a curator at Crystal Bridges. You can learn more at crystalbridges.org.
Thank you for contributing to your public radio station in 2021. Your support means we can continue to bring you closer to the rest of your community. On Ozarks at Large, we're able to bring you conversations with visiting speakers, speakers that you might not be able to see or hear when they're here because of your schedule. Speakers like Gloria Steinem last month on the U of A campus. And we can give you insights from curators and directors that help inform your experience at museums and theaters. All of this on Ozarks at Large and so much more on KUAF made possible when you support KUAF at supportkuaf.com. And thank you. During this season of giving, the KUAF Giving Tree is benefiting Peace at Home Family Shelter. Their Santa Sack program provides support for families and children. They're needing our community to donate gift cards, Walmart, Target, etc., or donate to the thrift shop on North Garland Avenue. You can also click on the Giving Tree logo at KUAF.com, and you'll find all their needs and how you can help. The Giving Tree and KUAF. Local matters. This is KUAF 91.3, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Hobbs State Park. Today's show produced by Timothy Dennis inside the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio. Contributors included Jacqueline Froelich and our militant grammarian, Catherine Sheralds. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Our underwriting director at KUAF is Rhonda Dillard. By the way, Rhonda will be with us Friday on Ozarks at Large for our annual KUAF holiday giveaway. You still have time to register at KUAF.com. Additional content today came from KUAR, public radio in Little Rock and Central Arkansas. Our conversations between John Brummett and Roby Brock, part of our partnership with Talk Business and Politics. Thank you for being with us on this Tuesday from the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellums.